0: God together. Father, we thank you so much for the promise of that song, and Lord, I just know, even as I prayed with someone before service, that it's so important that we see ourselves as you see us, so important that you see ourselves as you've made us to be, but then how you're remaking us to be, and the image of Jesus that you've put in us, and Lord, I pray today that as we're together that you just remind each and every one of us today of your power, And that we would believe what you say about us. And then ultimately, God, that as we come to this message today about the open table, that we would believe what you said you can do. And that you would use us, God, for your kingdom and your kingdom purposes. And that you would help us today to move out of places where we might be stuck because we've stopped expecting you to work. And instead, that we would take steps and move forward expecting you to do what you said you'll do in our life, in the life of others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Just so glad that you're here today. And so we're in full-fledged summer, right? All warm and uh, all that stuff that we deal with this time of year. Do you guys have a good 4th of July? Good Independence Day? I hope you did. hope it was a lot of fun. Uh, I'll just tell you right now, I had an intestinal bug over the 4th, and so... Uh, I don't think it was the flu. I really think it was intestinal, and so because it's still here. Uh, I just want you to know that. So if I have to leave in just a moment, uh, you'll understand, okay, <laughs> kind of what's going on today. Uh, so I just want to welcome you as we start into this series. Uh, at, or I'm in the, my first message in this series on Open Table. I'm just so excited about that. So I'm going to set it up a little bit like I might have if I'd have done the first talk, just so we can kind of be. Uh, All together because some of you are here for the first time uh, in the summer So it's just so glad that you're with us today. So here's what you want to do. You want to Look in your program. You want to grab these message notes out That's the first thing you want to do you want to have these ready so you can take notes today So you can write down not what I say, but what god would say to you that he wants you to remember And so you have this with you and you can use this We provide these every week and you want to open your bible to luke 9 luke chapter 9 So we're walking through the book of luke Uh, this summer and looking at different opportunities where Jesus had meals with people. That's why we're calling it the open table. It's open to everyone. And so Luke 9 is where we'll be today. We're going to be in the story that many of you might be familiar with. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. And so we'll be looking at that today. It's not your typical meal, right? So it's a lot of people that are coming together that Jesus is going to provide food for. And so what we're doing is we're looking at different opportunities where Jesus was with people and that he was with people that was around a meal or a table. And so it was just a way to show God's grace. So food in many of these stories represents God's grace that's being given or poured out on others. And so when you study this, you look at this, as we go through Luke, you can almost think Luke has a passion for food. I think Luke is a real foodie, and so you look at this. And so, anybody else have a passion for food? Anybody else? Okay, I think many of us might be in that place. We have that kind of passion. I'm unashamedly a foodie, okay. And so, and I guess I'm not the only one because I went online and I, and then on my television looked at the proliferation of food shows that you can watch, and just on and on of cooking shows that you can get you know hooked into. And uh, one of the ones that my daughter showed me this summer uh, as we were on vacation is called Chopped. Have you guys ever watched Chopped? And so the idea in Chopped is, is that they bring these you know, chefs together, and then they make different courses. And throughout the courses that they make, if they don't make the cut, they get chopped, okay? And then they get, they're off the show. And so they're not going to go forward in that. I love watching people cook, and I love to eat food. And so one of the things for me in the summertime especially is you know vacations and maybe... You're in different environments, would be to just try new things to cook and new things that you can do in that way. And I'm just guessing that Luke was also someone who was fascinated by food, by the sheer number of times that he reports that Jesus was at a meal. So I'm just going to begin today by pointing out how important meals were to Jesus, okay? So how important they were to him. And so he's going to list a couple of verses here. They're going to take us to a place where we can see that. And the first one is Luke 19. We talked about that last week. This is Jesus' purpose statement. He says this, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He said, that's my purpose. That's why." I By the way, these are all statements Jesus made about himself. We're going to look at these. He said the first one is his purpose to seek and save the lost. And then Mark records Jesus saying another statement, which talks about uh, his actual mission. It says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he said, I came to seek and serve to save the lost. The way I'm going to do that is I'm going to serve, and I'm actually going to give my life as the greatest acts of service that ever was on the cross. And then he says, I have a method, or I have a strategy. Here's my method or my strategy, and Luke records that in Luke 7, and this is it. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's his strategy. It wasn't, he didn't have crusades. Uh, He didn't say, come to church. He said, the son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here's what they said about him. And he's talking about the religious people right here. He's not talking about the ones who were accepted into his eating and drinking kinds of routines. He says, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now they met to you know, cut him down by that to say he wasn't worthy to be followed as a teacher because no great teacher of God would ever hang around the kind of riffraff that he was hanging around with. But he says, you know what? I really came, this is what I came for. And I came to just engage with people around the table. My table's open. And so I invite anyone who wants to come to my table, anyone who wants to be with me, there's nobody excluded from coming to my table. So Jesus was all about relationship. He was all about people coming to him and being with him. Robert Karras, one of the guys I read uh, uh, in preparation for this, he says this about Jesus. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming to a meal. So that's the way it was coming from a meal, I mean. And so he was just all about food. Another scholar said this. Jesus did not go around merely talking about eating and drinking. He went around eating and drinking, and he ends it this way, a lot. So he ate and drank a lot. And so that's what he was known for. But they weren't just his method for and strategy for sharing his message and love and compassion. They really were a picture of the reality he came to bring, a reality they didn't know and a reality that he came to bring. The meals were looking at the fulfillment of prophecy that had been made about Jesus in the Old Testament. They're a picture. Of what he wants, what he came to bring, and he wants you to experience today. He wants everyone to experience this the acceptance and inclusion that he came to bring that's available when we gather at his table. So Jesus, no matter who we are or no matter where we've been. So we've seen that in the first two weeks in the series. Pastor John, Pastor Mark did awesome jobs of talking about the fact of Matthew and being with sinners. And then last week about the uh, woman who was in, uh, the adulterous woman who came to Jesus and then how he, she was forgiven. So they did a great job of opening up the series to that. But what I want to do is i want to draw your attention to a verse on the backside of your notes. So the very last verse on the backside of your notes is Isaiah 25. And these are words about the prophecy of the coming Messiah uh, and what he would make possible. I love these because they really give a picture of what Jesus came to do and then also of what we're going to see happen in the time we're going to be together today in Luke 9. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. What he's saying is going to happen. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So this is a picture of what Jesus came to do as he invites us to his table. He's preparing a feast of rich food with the finest of drink. He came to heal the tears of those who shed tears. He came to heal the sick. He came to help those who are burdened, to uh, be unleashed from their burdens. He came that we would see God as he truly is so we could place our trust fully in him. Now, last week, someone at the end of the service in the lobby uh, suggested that, as we're talking about food, that they had just seen a movie that I might want to watch called Antoine Fisher, and because the meal, a meal time became very important in this movie. So this week, when I was having this kind of intestinal bug, I had to stay home uh, a couple of days, and, so I was, and I was avoiding food, by the way, uh, and I watched this movie, and uh, it was a very moving movie to watch, uh, actually, and I just want to show you a clip from the ending of the movie. Now, I'll just say this right up front. Since this is a movie from 2002. I'm going to risk showing this clip even though it's the giveaway, okay? So this is the full-on spoiler alert. This gives away the entire movie right now as you see this clip, but you've got to really see the movie to get the full impact of this. So the movie is about a man's search for belonging. It's about his search for identity. It's about his search for love. It's about his search for family. He had been adopted at a very young age, and all he knew about his dad, that his dad had been killed at some point when he was a baby. He knew nothing about his mom, except that she had birthed him while she was in prison and had never come for him, never looked for him in any way, never made any kind of attempt to see him. At the end of the movie, after going through a lot of deep emotional stuff, which is what the, most of the movie is all about, some really heavy stuff, he realized that in order to be healed from his past, he needed to find his family and his mom. So he goes on a search to find them, and instantly through... Eventually, through his effort and luck, he finds an aunt. So he travels to Cleveland, where the aunt lives, and there he meets her, and then two of her, I'm going to assume, uncles were in the same setting when he meet them, met them. While there, he discovers that his mom is still alive. He had no idea. His mom is still alive. So he goes with one of his newfound uncles to see her, and honestly, you were thinking in the movie that this was going to be the moment where you would have, you know, just, oh, it would be really sweet. It wasn't. It was very disappointing it didn't go well it looked like his trip had been a waste because his mom still had nothing to give him she had had a really really tough life so his newfound uncle takes him back home to his aunt's home and i'm sure that as he's leaving after he looked for his mom and now he's just found these other couple of relatives that he's kind of feeling down and dejected wondering why he made the trip turned out that his search for his family was disappointing little did he know what was in store for him when he got back to his newfound aunt's home? Let's watch this. Hey, what are you doing?
1: I'm your uncle Horace. Get out the
0: way, Horace. Come on, baby. Oh, oh look at you! Look at you! I'm your auntie, baby. Oh. Oh, I'm your cousin Jeanette. Oh Lord oh. 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 oh Jesus! Oh, this is my wife's teeth. How you doing? Good looking. I'm your cousin Eddie. My dad named me after your father. This <laughs> my brother Rex. So dumb, is cracking Hey, I'm your cousin Jason. Man, what's love? All right, boys, open up. All right. Come on, Eddie! Oh, my. Uh, such a moving picture of... In my, As I was watching that, and I've been reflecting on it a lot since uh, the day I watched it, is that uh, that's a picture to me, uh, sh- that, that old grandma that really is seeing her grandson for the very first time ever, uh, that, that she, for me, is a representation of Jesus. And he comes into a family he never knew he had. And as he comes to her, she grabs him, and this is what every one of us wants. Everyone want, every one of us wants this. We want that embrace where she grabbed him by the face and she looked into his eyes and she said, welcome, welcome. You have a family. And then, of course, then they dug into the food and everybody celebrated there. And folks, that's what Jesus came to offer. He came to offer that for every one of us. And that's why this series called Open Table, I think, is so important for us. It's important because He wants every one of us to know that that's the love He has for us and that's the desire He has for us, that we'd come into His family in that way, that we'd be embraced. But folks, He didn't just come for us. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. Can you imagine all the people that Jesus wants to invite to His table so that He could grab them by the face and look into their eyes and say, Welcome. Welcome into my family. And that's exactly what I, I'm hoping that we all get from this series. If you read my email blast this week, I just encouraged you. I had an idea this week that floated around the office that uh, we would start. We'd use this series as just a motivation to invite people into our homes and to have a meal, maybe one time this summer. Someone who doesn't know Jesus, we'd invite into our home and have a meal with them. Just be with them in some way. So today though we come to one of the meals that's different than you know being around a large table is the feeding of the 5000 and so this is the, this is this meal that we're looking at story actually this account actual historical account is the only miracle except the resurrection that's in, uh, included in all four gospels so this is not your typical meal it's like a huge community meal uh, a banquet and we'll see that the table is open today to all who feel unexpected And so, and I was thinking about who is the unexpected today? Well, I I think that that's everyone who feels like they're waiting on something. Everyone who feels stuck. Everyone who feels like that life isn't playing out like they wanted. Everyone who's tried God and feel like that God has not quite come through and they're still waiting, they're still wondering, is God there for them in some way? That's the unexpected. The unexpected are also his people. I think that many times, what as followers of Jesus, we go through life, and we don't really expect God to do a whole heck of a lot. We think we're going to heaven, but do we really expect him to work? Do we expect him to use us to influence others for the kingdom, to invite them around this table? I think the unexpected would be every one of us today. And so as we go through this today, I want you to hear that. Hear that about yourself, where you feel stuck or where you're not expecting God to work, where you're actually kind of you know, lowered the bar way down here about what you think God can do because you've not seen him come through yet, and that you would expect him to do way more than that. And the, the unexpected would be those who who don't believe that his people really care about them. And then also unexpected would be those of us who don't believe that God wants us to go out and reach others. That he wants us to reach the others for Jesus. So today we're going to talk about you know, what Jesus wanted his disciples to learn and what we can learn from this. And it's about how Jesus wants us to live, and I would just say it this way, with expectant confidence and hope in God's promise and power to provide for our needs. He wants us to live that way with expectant confidence and hope in God's promise and power to meet our needs. He wants us to live with an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mentality. You know, abundance mentality is someone who would be more optimistic and you go through life believing that there's still more, there's still more. A scarcity mentality is someone who goes through life pessimistic and goes through life believing that there's not enough, not enough. Well, God wants us to go through life with an abundance mentality as we follow him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'll set the context for the meal, and then we're going to walk into three observations that we're going to look at. So here's what had happened: Jesus had sent his uh, disciples out on a missionary journey, and uh, to spread the good news, to heal the sick, and to call those who were sinners to repentance. So that's what he's done. He sends his disciples out on a mission. He told them not to take food or supplies or money. Or even a change of clothes with them, so no bag. So take nothing with them, not even an extra pair of boxers. I'm guessing that they were down to the bare bones here. They went out with zero resources. That's the idea I want you to get. They'd come, they'd gone out with zero resources, and they've just come back from that trip, and they still have zero resources. And here's what happened: Luke 9:10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them. With him, and they withdrew themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them. Now, uh, welcomed them. Also, in another translation, says he had compassion on them. So he's gone away with his disciples. They've gone away for a retreat. Instead of retreat, they get Coachella is what happened there, Coachella. And all of a sudden, all these people there, instead of feeling like they had infringed upon his party, he actually had compassion and welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed healing. So Jesus welcomes them and he shows them this picture of hospitality that we've talked about several times in this series and he looked at them with compassion. So that's the key to the meals that we keep looking at in this series. Jesus looks at others, even those who are labeled as sinners, with eyes of compassion, and he offers them words of welcome. So i make three observations as we go through this, and just know that when we talk about the feeding of the 5,000, so kind of set the stage a little bit more, is that, that the Bible says 5,000 men... And we know because there was a boy there with food that we're going to you know, use his food in just a minute, that there were also boys and children, so there are probably also women along as well. So we're probably thinking there's somewhere around fifteen to 20,000 people. Somewhere fifteen to 20,000 people, that's who's there that day, and that he's going to feed. And that's a problem, folks. That's a problem, Fifteen to 20,000 people, because there are no grocery stores. There are no restaurants. There are no food trucks. So as I said earlier, what started out as just a stack retreat turned down to Coachella. And they have this big group of people everywhere, food festival. But they were in for a huge surprise. First observation that I want you to take away with today is this. I want you to, if you're going to raise your expectancy, you need to believe that nothing is too big for God to handle. You need to believe that nothing is too big for God to handle. So the day's coming to an end. The crowds have continued to grow, I'm sure. The disciples see the problem. They need food. They need to eat. This is way beyond anything. This is so huge, Jesus. How are we going to be able to accomplish this? We need to save face, Jesus. Why don't you send everybody away to get food? There's no way they're going to get food. That problem is huge. It's beyond their capacity and ability. This is what it says in verses 12 through 13. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, "'Send the crowd away, Jesus.'" <laughs> So they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside, and they can find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. So they're out in the desert. We're in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. So they are the solution. They are the solution. You give them something to eat. So Jesus puts a responsibility not on the people, not on the people who were there. Now, you would think that somewhere along the line, if Jesus was really doing this, You know, a parenting lesson right here. He would say, why would you go to the wilderness without food? You know, you're a long ways out. You should have prepared better. You should have planned more for this. And he would have maybe chastised the people that they weren't better prepared. But he didn't do that at all. Instead, he put the responsibility directly on his followers. Now, just remember, once again, they just come from their missionary trip and they had zero resources. That's what makes this story even better. They had zero resources when he says this to him. They'd taken no money, no credit cards, no supplies, no wallets. And then Jesus says to them, you feed them. Now, this is another instance in the Bible when it says you, that it means y'all. Okay, just know that. It wasn't just like you disciple, but y'all disciples. And so then if we bring this into our context, he's saying to us, y'all, this is what I want y'all to do, is to be engaged in helping those who need help, helping those who need assistance, helping those who need fed. So he calls them right now. He's calling them to do something bigger than their belief, bigger than their belief in what can be done. He calls them to step out beyond what they think they can do, and he calls them to trust in what God can do. Now, I would just say, I'm looking at uh, many of our circumstances and situations. I read your prayer requests. I talk with you. I understand many of us are in places like that where we're in a place right now, and because of either health or circumstances or finances or a difficulty or career or somebody coming against this uh, and on and on, the list, those things look so big in front of us, and sometimes we can get paralyzed because they look so huge. But not only just the things we have personally going on, I'm just thinking right now about what goes on in culture right now and how God wants his church to engage in culture right now. And I just look at the problems we have in our world of homelessness and poverty and equality, immigration, refugees, violence, sexual abuse, pornography, terrorism, disease, racial tension, division, political polarization. It just seems like sometimes I hear people say, I just want to go hide. I just want to get under a rock. I want to go fortress up somewhere because the problems are huge. And we just say, when we look at the problems, they're just too big for me. And when we say they're too big for me, what we're saying is that ultimately I believe they're too big for God too. I believe they're too big for God. And when we say that, we're saying, I don't believe God is big enough to handle this. And another thing we're saying under our breath, and therefore it's so big... It's not my responsibility. So I'll just live in my own little world. I'll anesthetize myself with stuff, activity, things I can do, wonderful things. And I'll just forget the rest of the world that needs me to engage, needs me to be responsible in that way. Instead, what if you were to hear Jesus say to us today that you are his representative in the world, And so he says, if you're my follower, it's your responsibility, and I want you to get involved in solving problems that look big, but you're only going to get involved in those if you think God is bigger than the problem, and that he can handle things that are bigger than you. So that's the first thing he wants us to know. Second is this, believe that nothing is too small for God to use. So nothing is too big for God to handle. Nothing is too small for God to use. Nothing at all. So when we decide that God is, uh, what we have is too small for God to use, what we're doing is that point is that we've gotten into a scarcity mentality. And then we're living in this scarcity mentality that, oh, it's just this little bit, and oh my gosh, I've got to take care of my little bit. How am I ever going to replace my little bit? Oh, if I were to give any of my little bit, how would it ever come back to me? And they get stuck in that place of scarcity and saying, it's just a little bit. And God says, you know no little bit is too little for me to use. None. Use your little bits for me and watch what I do through your little bits to change circumstances. Nothing is too small for God to use. This is what it says in verses 13 through 14a. He says, once again, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only, underline that, only, only. This is what we do. We limit ourselves. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go buy food for all this crowd. I'll just say it this way. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Is that all they have? We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Is that all they have? We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. No, thank you. (laughs) Who do they have? Jesus. (laughs) Right there, right there with them oh my gosh, they've got Jesus right there. But no, they've limited themselves by saying it's too small for God to use. And then when they say that it's too small for God to use, it causes them to be paralyzed and they don't take responsibility for what's in front of them because they don't believe it's big enough for God to use. Now we know that um, actually it's a huge deal that's going on here. We know from Philip, uh, John's account that Philip actually was a you know probably a bean counter kind of person. And he kind of figured up that, uh, it would take, you know, see, we got all these 15, 20,000 people, they have food. It would take somewhere around a half a year's salary to buy them a meal to feed them. And so he's thinking that's how much it would take. And they're looking at, we only have five fish. I mean, five loaves and two fish. How are we going to do this? And I'm not talking about, they weren't whopper fish. They weren't the kind of fish you put on Instagram. <laughs> okay. Where you put the fish way out high. So it looks bigger than it actually is. <laughs> I know your tricks, These were little, small, kind of like sardine-sized fish, dried fish, and then they had barley loaves. These weren't the kind of loaves that you want to eat, you know, in a restaurant when they bring you. You sit down, they bring you out the fresh bread, and it's all warm, and you smell it, and you can't say no, even though you're said you'd say no, and you slather the butter on there and you eat it. These are barley loaves. Barley loaves were made from a kind of grain in a kind of way that they were rock hard. And it took everything to eat them, and they were really tasted terrible at that point. So this is what they have. So it looks impossible for them to feed the 20,000 people. The need is just too great, and the resources are just too small. And Jesus is saying, Jesus, you can't do this. We can't do this by saying that. And so they missed the fact that they had Jesus, which was greater than anything else that they needed at that point. Now, I'd say it's a, it's a natural thing for us, too, right? right away. I mean, we think about this. How many of you ever... You look at the world's problems and I do this. You look at the world's problems and, you know, let's just take homelessness, for instance. And, and you look at homelessness and you say, oh, my, there's the need is so big. The global need is so big. The local need is so big. I'm just one person and I have just got a limited resource. What can I do? I mean, have you ever thought like that? You look at the all the, I just the list I listed earlier is how we can say our resources are too small to do something. Well, here's what I want you to hear. When God calls us to act, okay, when God calls us to act, he makes what we have be big enough. He makes what we have be big enough. No matter how big the problem is or no matter how small the resource is that we have, God wants us to realize that with him, we have more than enough, more than enough. And that takes us to this last idea, last observation. Believe that nothing is too big for God to handle. Believe that nothing is too small for God to use. Believe that nothing is impossible for God to accomplish. Nothing is impossible for God to accomplish. Nothing. This is what he says. This is what happened in verse 14b. He said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So if we have 20,000 people, let's just say 15,000 people, and they sit down in groups of about... 50 each. That's about 300 groups. Okay, I can't. Even, I don't know if you can imagine how, like, it'd be like this section right here. Say, say there's about 50 people right here. 300 sections like this on a hillside. So it's enormous, and they're all spread out, and they're all relaxed and reclined. They're waiting to be fed. So that's what's happening. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven. So notice that we're going to see Jesus took them, and we're going to see that he gave thanks, he broke them, and he gave them. I get to do the message when we come to the Lord's Supper, and it's the same thing. Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread. So this is actually a picture of what's going to come. When we get to the Lord's Supper, and Jesus has that meal with his disciples. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So I was just thinking about the um, logistics of feeding 300 groups of 50 people, 12 guys with baskets of food that just keep expanding and growing and growing, and they just keep carrying baskets, just whoo, they were tired, you know, just think about that. And then all of a sudden the people start eating and they're still stri- distributing and distributing. And then next thing, you know, they, they didn't just they get they're like, okay, everybody just only eat a bite. Okay. Everybody can only have one piece of fish and one little piece of bread. No, you can eat all you want. You can eat all you want. And then at the end you had all you want and we still had leftovers. That's the picture that God wants us to get about what he does in our lives. He wants to use us so that we are involved with him in what looks to be impossible because he can accomplish the impossible. He can make the impossible possible if we trust in him. And that brings me to this verse from Ephesians 3 that we've talked about so many times, we've looked at, it really, I think, Paul wrote this decades later, uh, but he's reflecting on God's ability to do anything he chooses and how big God is. And he says this, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. And folks, this is the challenge of faith. The reason we live unexpected lives, unexpectedly, is that we don't believe that God's going to come through. And God calls us to turn to him. And his promise is, I will always come through. The question I have is, are we willing to take this step? I don't know what step he's calling you to take. Are you willing to take that step? Is there something he's placed on your heart? Is it a calling that he's given you? Is he, is there a need he's shown you? Is there a place he's called you to go? Is there something he's called you to do? Is there a place he's called you to be? And you're sitting there thinking, it's too big. All the, all the barriers are too big for me to get through. Uh, it's too small. I'm not sure I can do anything. And then instead of that, instead of believing that God can do the impossible, we turn around and say, I'm not going to do it. Because I don't think it's possible with me. And God says, I want you to go in the strength that you have. I want you to know that my power is immeasurably greater than anything that you can think or imagine. And I made it available to you. Will you use my power to open up the table so that more and more people come to know me? Will you use my power to live a life of expectancy, of confident hope in Jesus Christ? So I'm going to ask if we would bow our heads and we're just going to take a time to pray together. Lord, I just thank you so much for this powerful story. I thank you for how you've worked in me and uh, just for in the preparation. Uh, even feeling you know ill today and under the weather and just realizing that I felt like I didn't have enough today. And you just challenged me in that. It's enough. And so, God, I just pray that for every one of us, and Lord, I I know, I'll just confess that I can be the one who lives with a scarcity mentality. And I pray that you would help me, Jesus, that uh, instead of being pessimistic, instead of looking for how things are going to be hard or too difficult or too costly, instead, you would help me to live with an abundance mentality. I'm just asking this for everyone now. That every one of us would live in an abundance mentality. Can you imagine what could be done in our world if just the people of Twin Cities Church, this group right here, just the first service, just you sitting in your chair, if you were to say yes to Jesus in an area that He's already been prompting you, He's already been leading you, or you would just say yes to Him and say, I'll open up my home and do a meal. I've got lots of opportunities to be with people who don't know Jesus. I'll just bring them over, and we'll have food together. Can you imagine what it would be like if this group, this this church, would say yes to Jesus? Because we believe that nothing is too big for God to handle. We believe that nothing is too small for God to use, and we believe that nothing is impossible for God to accomplish. but he does it through people. He won't do it apart from us. And I pray that we would engage and that we would have expectant confidence and hope in him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.